All righty. Our first uh, scripture reading this morning is from the fifth chapter of the letter of James, found on page 217 in the New Testament. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not gamble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who speak in the name of the Lord. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Thank you. Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter, verses 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with skin diseases are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense in me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go to the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? 
What then did you go out and see? Someone dressed in soft robes. Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yeah. I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending you a messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. Amidst all the noise of this season, we have a moment for some silence. At first, it's uncomfortable because it's so unfamiliar. But then we realize that even when it's quiet, there is your word speaking to our hearts. Shut out the din of anything that is not of your spirit and allow us to hear your words for you have the word of eternal life. Friends, hear the good news. It is the gospel in Jesus Christ. We are a forgiven people. Let us give thanks and praise to God. Last week in our gospel lesson, the Pharisees were coming to John the Baptist in order to be baptized by him in the River Jordan. It was the thing to do. Everybody else had wandered out to the edge of the wilderness to see this John the Baptist guy. He had more followers than anybody else in all of Judea at the time. Even so, the Pharisees queued up on the shore to hear the guy in the camel's hair suit and have him rage against the current order. And then they'd take the plunge in the water along with everybody else. John was fun to listen to. He was even more fun to watch. He was all wide-eyed and he'd munch bugs. He was knee-deep in the mud, howling about the day of the coming Messiah. Then they particularly liked his routine where he made fun of the Roman imperial soldiers. He would wander up like he was in full gear. He'd take rushes and stick them in his head to look like the plume on a Roman helmet. And then he'd walk over like a soldier taking a bribe and bug a merchant. He'd prayed back and forth and say, Give me tribute. Oh, they'd roar. He was making fun of the Romans. He'd shout it in a thick Latin accent so that everybody understood who was the butt of that joke. They'd roar with laughter as John would then shift his posture as a little tent maker cowering before the Grand Roman Legionnaire this threatening lummox of force. One of the Sadducees at that point said, I wish I'd brought the kids. They'd have loved this. But then the skit turned a little darker. John wasn't a towering, stupid Roman soldier anymore. He transformed himself into the appearance of one with flowing robes, with long fringes and, and a phylactery in the middle of his head, the little scripture boxes that the Pharisees would wear and he'd bob and almost trip as if it was blinding him. 
In the skit, the dumb ox soldier takes and slips some of the tribute that he has just stolen from the merchant and hands it off to the Pharisees. Laughter stops. The skit is now not about the Romans. It's a little closer to home. Some other crowd continues to laugh raucously, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees aren't convinced. The laughter becomes nervous as John then pulls out an invisible scroll (laughs) and mocking the litigious nature of the Sadducees, pronouncing judgment on whether or not the tithes of the poor were sufficient to give them righteousness. Then John would point off in the distance, upriver on the Jordan, way up north towards Galilee. And he'd say, watch. Watch, there is, there is one who is coming. There is one who is coming. I, I baptize with water, but this one is going to baptize with fire. I'm not even worthy to lick his boots. And he will come. And change will happen. Fill in the valleys, lower the mountains, make the way straight. Do deeds that are worthy of righteousness because righteousness is coming. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, well, they weren't laughing anymore. John, the influencer of his day, transformed himself into Isaiah, the great prophet foretelling the coming of not a Messiah, but the Messiah. As far as the officials were concerned, at that point, John's shtick crossed the line. It wasn't entertaining anymore, so when he ended his routine one day with a devastatingly plain-spoken condemnation of Herod, the crowd kind of backed away. You see, Herod claimed himself as the super-Jew of Jerusalem. He funded the rebuilding of the temple with marble and gold leaf. He financed a new aqueduct system in a fantastic arena where Great shows were put on. If he'd played his cards right, John the Baptist could have eventually played there if he'd wanted to. And when he was making fun of those others, people gave him a pass. But when he started talking about the slimeball corruption of Herod, he was in a little trouble. He said, yeah, Herod's building nice stuff, but the man's an immoral slob. John's act was no longer parody. It was specific. Everyone knew that Herod had been having an open affair with his sister-in-law, his brother's wife. But then one day, his brother ended up dead. And rumor on the streets was that Herod had had him killed so that he could actually bring Herodias, his own sister-in-law, into the palace as his wife. And John condemned that. And nobody really thought that was funny. He told the people that nothing good was going to come from that kind of corrupt heart, and they shouldn't be so enamored with Herod the king, with his building projects and gilded lifestyle, that they should reject his so-called kingship as illegitimate because of the unrighteousness not only in his heart but in his deeds. 
The crowds kind of fell out after that. Uh, they went there really only to see how much longer John the Baptist could get away with what he was saying. They didn't have to wait long. When folks came back to Jerusalem, they heard that Herod had already had him arrested. And John the Baptist was placed into the palace lockup. The laughter stopped. The followers dispersed. John's numbers tanked. For entertainment, they just moved on to go see that woman from Jericho who gave demonstrations on how to narrow the look of your nose with white powder and juice from berries. She was really good, and everybody followed her. John had a few loyalists. They weren't part of the crowds that would go and see his show by the River Jordan. Uh, They were actually his students. After the crowds dispersed, they were the ones that came up and sat with John the Baptist, who had a phenomenal knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures. He was, after all, the son of a priest. And they would talk about the meanings of the writings of Isaiah and of Micah and Joel and Zechariah. They understood that John was not an influencer in the popular sense of the word. They saw him as someone genuinely special, somebody who was honestly reading the times and that the times said that they were living in a pivotal moment in human history. And so when John was taken to prison, they came to Jesus. They needed to know what John needed to know. Are you the real deal? Are you the one that Micah and Joel and Zechariah and Isaiah have been predicted? Is John the Baptist like Elijah? who was promised before the coming of the Messiah. You and I, we're not much different. We love satire, don't we? A good show. Somebody who does some impersonations of people we don't like. It's all good fun until they start making fun of us. When the figure of accusation moves from the stage to the, to the audience... The prophet's words begin to sear like a burning hot poker against us. All the applause, all the laughter, all the hoopla dies away as the one on the stage begins to howl, these stories are about people like you. That's not funny. So when John uses John the Baptist in one of his presentations, Things are a little too real. Jesus asks, when you went to the Jordan to watch John's shtick, what did you see? A stand-up comic doing his routine? Someone in a tuxedo doing nine shows a week on the main stage of the palace? An influencer who did funny dances and sleight of hand and quick wit rap? What were you watching? A prophet? Yeah, a prophet. We struggle, you and me, I struggle. We want to be liked. We want to be entertained. Oh, we want to be popular. We're fresh off an election cycle, my folks, and one party is down, but not as down as they were going to be, and so we're saying they won. What? Meanwhile, in the background, 
Nearly half a million dollars was spent on TV and cable and social media and hotel ballrooms and news releases and flyers. Nationally, just in this last election cycle, $7.5 billion, $7.5 billion on political campaigns. You know, $7.5 billion would fund the city of Chicago's human services budget for 21 years. One election cycle, seven and a half billion bucks. Two decades of Chicago's human services budget. When John's disciples came to Jesus and said, are you the one, did John get it right? After all, John was in prison, and everybody was pretty sure at some point he was going to be executed. To look at it one way, John changed nothing. After he was beheaded, the Romans were still in power. The Sadducees were still corrupt. The Pharisees were still on the take. If you looked around, John was about to lose his head over nothing but the ego of a murderous adulterer known as Herod. So was it worth it? They asked Jesus. What did Jesus say? He turned their heads from the headlines to the streets. Tell John what you're being told. Tell John what you're seeing. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are being raised. The poor have good news brought to them. Now, you and I, we do not have the power or the influence to change the system. Even if all of us were to band together, march in the streets, fund a new kind of candidate, we'd lose. I'm not expecting us to change the principalities or the powers that run this old, corrupt, and decaying world. But we do have something. We have what the crowds had when John the Baptist talked about the coming Messiah. We have our attention. And we have power over where we direct our attention. What Jesus told John's disciples was this, stop looking at the so-called powerful and start looking at what's happening to the powerless. Take the time that we would have given to political conversation and offer it instead to actually helping your neighbor. Stop being under the influence and instead become someone who is an influence. Find somebody who needs your like. Someone who needs your like. Be a champion to somebody who will actually benefit from your following. A hero to someone who others see as a zero. Stop looking to be entertained. Seek to be enriched.
not giving our loyalties and attention to others who, by the way, will never, ever, ever know your name. But be loyal and attentive to someone who needs you to know their name. And if you don't know somebody who needs your help, your hand, your heart, I suggest you need to get out a little more. Because if you look and you get out there, you will see the coming kingdom of God. You will, if you're looking in the right place. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand and speak the words of the ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed, as our affirmation of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth.